love congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. We just sang together Psalm 110. And you need to understand with Psalm 110 that David is recording a conversation between God the Father and God the Son. The Lord says to my Lord. David knew that his coming son would be his Lord, his God, his Savior. This is what God the Father said to God the Son, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Now, when exactly does that happen? Sitting at the right hand, enemies under the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. That happens at his ascension, of course. That is really the, the, the culmination point, the high point of Jesus Christ's ministry. And when I say that, you might, you might think, well, what about his incarnation? What about his crucifixion or Pentecost? Well, it's all included. Jesus Christ couldn't be seated in glory unless he had been born of the Virgin Mary, gone to the cross, been raised again, and after he's ascended, poured out his Holy Spirit on Pentecost. It all comes together. Christ right now is seated at the right hand of God, King of kings, Lord of lords, because of a completed ministry where he saved us, and now is preparing the world for his second coming when he will bring us into a new heaven and new earth. Now, when Jesus Christ sat down at the right hand of God, it was not just a, uh, an honored position, a position of prestige. It was a position of awesome power. And we read that together in both Revelation 5 and Ephesians 1, and we sing it in Psalm 110, when Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, he is the king of the cosmos. And his, his primary focus is on the church, which he gathers so that he has people in his kingdom and has them for eternity. You know, this, this picture of a king with his, with his feet on, on the head of the enemy is a very classic image. I have in my library a number of books that show uh, pictures of ancient bas relief of the Babylonians and the Hittites and so on. And uh, there, when a, when a king was sitting on his throne and he had conquered an enemy, that, that enemy was always flat on the floor, and the king had his, had his feet on the head of the enemy. That shows that he's the victor. He, he's he's the, the winner. And our Lord Jesus Christ, seated at the right hand of God with, his, with the enemy for his footstool, he is the victor. He is the conqueror. We're going to look at the implications of that this afternoon under this theme. Jesus Christ is reigning as king from his ascension to his return. We'll look at the ascended Christ sat down at the right hand of God. He does so for the sake of the church, and he will come again to take us into joy and glory. So the theme of our sermon is that Jesus Christ is reigning from the time of his ascension to the time of his return. To reign means that you are the king. And Jesus Christ is the greatest king that ever lived and ever will live. We saw that in Revelation 5, that he was worthy to take the scroll and open the seals. That scroll is the scroll of history. That means Jesus Christ is running this world. When the rain fell last night, when the sun came out a little bit today, 
driving our car safely to the church building, all under the control of our Lord Jesus Christ. From a drop of water to a shooting comet to a baby being born, it's all in the rule of our Lord Jesus Christ. Saying that in Psalm 110, we read it in Ephesians 1, that when Jesus Christ was seated at God's right hand, God placed him far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be named, not only the present age, but also in the one to come. Powerful description of Christ as king. But if you're a king, you're, you won't be much of a king if you don't have citizens. You need a kingdom with people in it, citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And that's, that's what we're going to look at right now in our first point. We saw this morning that John the Baptist preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's almost here. Jesus Christ actually said exactly the same thing when he began preaching. The kingdom of heaven is, is near. And then Jesus, it's near, of course, because of the person of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus Christ, he started healing the sick, raising the dead, forgiving sins, and preaching good news. Until finally in Matthew 12, verse 28, he said, But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom is here now. He's not saying it's near anymore. It's here in the person of Jesus Christ. He goes on to speak about how the strong man is bound, and then he can go into the strong man's house. So our Lord Jesus Christ was saying, look, when I meet a demon, I tell him to get out. And he goes. I heal sick people. I raise the dead. I preach. And most importantly, I forgive sins. You don't have to go to the temple and make a sacrifice. You come to me and place your faith in me and I forgive sins. And I can do that because I'm going to the cross of Golgotha. The kingdom of God is here because people are being washed in the blood and spirit of Jesus Christ and they are transformed so that they can now live to God's praise and glory. And that's the age in which we are living in right now. Now, some people think that the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ has faltered. It started off with such glory and purpose and promise, but it's failing. And we certainly see that in the epistles of Paul, that people were puzzled by the fact that Christians were dying. What's with that? Christ hasn't returned yet, and people are dying. Are they lost? People were being persecuted. They were going through trials and tribulations. What kind of king is this? What, what kind of king can't keep his people from dying, from being persecuted, from going through trials and tribulations? Brothers and sisters, it's, it's at this point that we have to slow down and say, do we understand really what the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ really is? And if you look in the book of Acts, you see that there was some severe persecution going on. And think of the Apostle Paul himself, how many times he wasn't beaten up and, and ridiculed and so on. But the man was beaming from ear to ear. And all the disciples were ecstatic. Why? Because the gospel was going out into the world and more and more people were coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. 
That is the work of our king. He never said, I promised you a rose garden. You're still in this world. You have trials and tribulations. But I have bound Satan. He can't deceive the nations anymore. And that gospel is going to go out into the whole world. And as for things like, like dying before Jesus Christ returns, well, the Apostle Paul has made so clear that those who die in Jesus Christ are taken from this world to be in heaven where the tears are wiped from their eyes and they are in absolute glory. I think a, a way of understanding the, how to look at the kingdom of heaven is to, is to see the struggle that the, the disciples had during the ministry of Jesus Christ. You know, in Matthew 16, Peter made the good confession. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, yeah, that's right. And, and I'm, I'm going to go and be killed in Jerusalem. Peter got angry at him, told him off. So I don't want to hear about suffering. I don't want to hear about death. You wonder, why, why would Peter say that? Well, it's because the disciples still had a very earthy understanding of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. They were hoping for, well, let's get rid of the Roman Empire. Let, let's restore the temple in Jerusalem to its former glory. Let us be the people of, of Israel, the people of God. And Jesus Christ says, that's not what I'm about. I didn't come to restore the people of Israel. I didn't come to give you earthly security. I came to go to the cross, to lay down my life, to liberate you from the power of Satan, from your own sins and the, and the bondage to death and decay. I have to go to the cross because this king, this king is not coming with sword or spear or shield or horse. This king comes with obedience, even unto death, so that I can set my people free. And so we're starting to get our minds around what the kingdom of heaven actually looks like in this world. You know, in the continued preaching of Jesus Christ, he said in Matthew 24, he says, The days are coming when there will be wars and rumors of wars and natural disasters, but before I return, the gospel is going to be preached through the whole world. That's why when he ascended into heaven, he gave the Great Commission. He said, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I will be with you always. Brothers and sisters, that's what we're seeing today. The kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ is not a rose garden. There are plenty of Christians who are going through tough times in our world. There are people in China who are being beaten, who lose their jobs, spend life in prison because they dare to confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But what our Lord Jesus Christ is doing is getting the gospel out into the world. For instance, the first time I went to China, 2009, I understood that there were about 40 million Christians in China. In 2018, I, I learned that there's probably about 230 million Christians in China. Uh, in China, you, you, you can't be a Christian in name. You don't say, I'm a Christian, because it could cost you everything. To say, I'm a Christian, you know, you're, you're, you're speaking openly and honestly from, from the heart. 
And that, that's, that's our king ruling. You, you can't stop the advancement of his kingdom. Satan can throw everything he wants at the church. You can have society hostile. We've seen that in our own province in the past year when we had a government that threatened to take away funding and accreditation from our schools unless we bought into their sexual agenda. But they can't overcome the church who are the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. The gospel continues to spread. And that's what the uh, 24 elders and four living creatures saying in Revelation 5, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men from every tribe and language, people and nation. You have made them a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on earth. Our Lord Jesus Christ gathers, defends, and preserves his church. And brothers and sisters, you're all proof of that this afternoon. This is the work of the ascended Christ. This is the work of the King of kings and Lord of lords. That he's washed you in his blood. That he's caused you to be born again. And he holds on to you. And he will do so forever. In Revelation 11 verse 15, we read the declaration of the seventh angel... The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. So that brings us to our second point, where we are dealing with question and answer 51. We see the glory of the ascended Christ who sits at God's right hand, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. This is our benefit. The first benefit, as the Catechism mentions, is that by his Holy Spirit, he pours out heavenly gifts upon us as his members. I would imagine that in your previous Catechism sermon, you already heard something about that. You know, in uh, John 14 through 16, Jesus Christ was talking about his ascension into heaven. He says, you won't see me anymore. You won't see me until I come back. But it's for your benefit that I go away. I can imagine that was pretty tough for the disciples to hear. When I read that, it, it feels like, like there's a hole so big in your heart you could drive a car through it. I mean, he can say, you know, I'm going away for your benefit, but you're gone. I don't see you. I can't talk to you. You're going to be gone until the end of the world. But our Lord Jesus Jesus Christ goes on in John 16 to explain why this is to our benefit. He says, I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus says, if I go, I send you the counselor. A few lines later, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. If you think about it, there's, there's two problems with Jesus Christ being on earth. And we see that in the three years of his ministry. For one thing, no matter how hard he tried, how much he spoke, how many miracles he, he did. Nobody got it that he had to die on the cross. He could talk till he was blue in the face. And at times he says, I'm, I'm going to stop talking. 
because I'm not getting through to you. But he says, I will send the Spirit and he will reveal all. That's the one, one problem. The other problem is Jesus can only be in one place at one time. It took him three years to get satisfactorily around the people of Israel. Imagine if we knew that Jesus was in China today. We said, I wonder when he's coming to Canada, when we're going to meet him and be able to, to talk to him. Jesus Christ says, I overcome all those problems when I ascend into heaven and pour out my Holy Spirit. That's the third person in the Trinity. He is God. He is sent by me. And he can be anywhere. He's in China right now. And in Papua. And here, the Spirit is here, talking to us, working in us, dwelling in our hearts. And opening our hearts and minds in a, in a way so that finally we get it and finally we understand. The Spirit is working this afternoon. And we say, I, I get it. Jesus Christ conquered Satan. He paid for my sins. He's ruling this world. And the Holy Spirit is in me, letting me know that truth, feel it, experience it, and also guiding me to be able to live to the praise and the glory of God. So that, that's the first benefit. The, the second benefit is we are living in the last days and we are under tremendous attack by the devil and an unbelieving world. But we know that the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against the church. Our, Jesus Christ holds on to us by his Holy Spirit. For instance, one of the footnotes is Ephesians 4, verses 7 through 12. And there we read about Jesus Christ. When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. Well, what are those gifts? Very surprising what Paul writes. These are his gifts. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for the work of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all attain unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So uh, a primary gift of the ascended Christ is that he gives us office bearers. You are about to receive a new minister. That's a gift of the ascended Christ. You have amazing elders and deacons who have been good shepherds of the flock. It's a gift of Christ because those men in turn work within the congregation to guide the sheep on the right path to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior so that you too, are built up in the faith. There's the ultimate gift of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we all hold the office of all believers. We are all citizens of the kingdom of heaven, fully registered in the blood and spirit of Jesus Christ, so we're no longer tossed back and forth by every wind of doctrine, but are able to live to the praise and the glory of our God. So our Lord Jesus Christ, as he's ruling in heaven, it's not just some you know, kind of uh, hazy work that he's doing. The work that he's doing is coming to us through the office bearers, through the spirit, through the word, that we all grow in the faith, that we're not able to be overcome by Satan. And even if we do fall, there's forgiveness and the ability to rise again and live our lives to God's praise and glory. 
That brings us to our last point. Jesus come, Jesus Christ will come again to take us into joy and glory. We've already pointed out that life in this world is not perfect. Satan is bound, but he still goes around like a roaring lion. He can still dress up as an angel of light, but this will not continue forever. One day we will hear a trumpet sound. We will hear the call of the archangel. We will see our Lord Jesus Christ return on the clouds of heaven to judge the living and the dead, and he will take Satan and all his demons, the fallen angels, and everyone who has rejected him as a savior and put them into the lake of fire, which is the second death, which is hell. And at that moment, brothers and sisters, we will never see Satan again. We will never hear him or feel him. There will be no pressure. There will be no temptation. There will be no tears. There will be no sin and no death. Because our Lord Jesus Christ will make us perfect in his Holy Spirit and take us into a new heaven and a new earth. There we shall dwell in the presence of God. He will be our light. A stream of living water will flow from the throne throughout the whole world. And on either side of the river will stand the tree of life. We can eat from it. and We can have life. And we can have it abundantly as forever we live in sweet communion with each other and with our God. That's the glorious hope that we have, brothers and sisters, as we live in this world in the midst of trials and tribulations. There are so many people in our world who have no hope. We talk with our neighbor. They're in fear of some ecological disaster that this world is just going to, to run out and destroy itself, or maybe a, 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 a nuclear bomb, and then you got these crazy TV shows and movies with apocalyptic zombies. Crazy ideas. No hope in our world, but we have hope. The hope of the risen, ascended Christ returning for us and to take us home. So what should our attitude be as we wait for that day? Do we just relax, be idle, and wait? You know, Martin Luther is alleged to have said at one point, if I knew that tomorrow was the end of the world, I would plant an apple tree today. Now, why would you plant an apple tree if you knew the world was going to end tomorrow? You're never, ever going to eat of it. But what this shows is a, is a basic Christian philosophy, that our, our philosophy of, of living in the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ is not about, well, I'll do this to see what I get out of it, but I will do this to the praise and the glory of my God. If I have breath, if I have energy, if I have time, I will serve him. I don't live in fear. I gladly will get married. I will bring children into this broken world because they will grow up to the praise and the glory of my God. I will serve as an office bearer on the school board, go to Sunset Teen Ranch, be a counselor there, be involved, go to Mustard Seed Church. You know, even people when they retire, and I happen to be retired, retired doesn't mean you now can kick up your heels and relax 
but just find new and amazing opportunities to serve the Lord. Perhaps do some mission work, do some writing, get involved with young people. As long as we have breath, we will serve our king. And when the trumpet sounds, I'll be glad, I'll be ready for the new heaven and new earth, but life here has also been very good under the blessing of our Lord Jesus Christ. I guess the big thing that we should end our sermon with is this question. Are you ready? Jesus said at the end of Matthew 24, so you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. And after that, in Matthew 25, he gives the parable of the ten virgins. It's a horrifying story. It's a terrible parable. Five of those girls were not ready, and they were locked out, which means they, they go to hell. If you're not ready, if you're not waiting and serving the, the, the heavenly bridegroom, he's not going to take you into a new heaven and a new earth. So what we talk about this afternoon, it's not just a, an interesting theological journey into the rule of Christ and the return of Christ. But it's the challenging question. Do you believe this? Is Jesus your Lord, your Savior? Do you believe that he is your king? And do you dwell under his dominion, rejoicing in the washing away of sins, the being born again, and using your life to his praise and his glory? When you hear the trumpet sound, you will say, Hallelujah, I am ready to go home. Amen.